Death was walking toward a man who stopped him and asked, What are you going to do? Death said, I'm going to kill 10,000 people. The man said, That's horrible. Death said, That's the way it is. That is what I do. And as the day passed, the man warned everyone he could of death's plan. At the end of the day, he met death again. He said, you said you were going to kill 10,000 people, and yet 100,000 people died. Death explained, I only killed 10,000. Worry and fear killed the others. Worry is one of the biggest problems we face in life, and it tends to get worse as we get older. Its destruction is sure. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota said, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system, and profoundly affects the health. Corey Ten Boom knew the destructive force of worry when she said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. Its destruction starts like a little trickle through the mind and cuts out a furrow until it becomes a grand canyon and all others other thoughts drain into it. Do you ever engage in the imaginary? That, that is what-if thinking. Do you ever blow things up in your mind by jumping to a conclusion or making a mountain out of a molehill? Have you ever looked at a dilemma and imagined the worst-case scenario? If you engage in any of these draining negative mind games, then you need to know that God's plan for you is peace and joy not worry. His plan for you is rest, not stress. Peace, not turmoil. Right now, there's a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and chaos. With COVID-19, the pandemic, the worldwide plague, and the rioting and, and protesting, anxiety is high. According to the New York Times, Americans are among the most anxious people on earth, one study found that Americans were significantly more anxious, anxious than residents of nations like Nigeria, Lebanon, and, and the Ukraine. We spend billions of dollars every year on anti-anxiety medications and additional millions to fund research into the causes and cures for anxiety disorders. Time magazine recently devoted its cover story to teenage anxiety, and the headline was... The kids are not all right. American teens are anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed. The article claimed that today's adolescents are the post-9-11 generation raised in an era of economic and national insecurity. They've never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. They grew up watching their parents weather a severe recession, and perhaps more importantly, they hit puberty at a time when technology and social media were transforming society. One expert said, if you wanted to create an environment to churn out angsty people, we've done it. One teenager explained, we're the first generation that cannot escape our problems at all. We're all like little vo volcanoes. We're getting this constant pressure from our phones, from our relationships, from the way things are today. Warren Wiersbe said, most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves, yesterday's regrets and the tomorrow's worries. The question is, how do we have joy's peace in a troubling world? For joy comes in the midst of worry and strife through the person and the peace of Jesus Christ. How, how to have peace 
when you have troubling relationships. Let's look at verse 1 through 3 of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Judea and entreat Sintka to get to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are the two women who have created a rift in the church of Philippi. They were saints, yet they didn't get along. Paul believed their conflict would negatively affect the entire church. Paul did not reveal the nature of the problem or take sides. He did appeal tactfully for unity by asking them to agree with each other in the Lord to agree, to live in harmony. This is the picture of the Christian church standing firm in Christ. Disagreements even among mature Christians are not new. Mature Christians do not allow these disagreements to interfere with love and unity in the body of Christ. Quarreling is not the nature of the church, nor was it of the women involved. They had fought alongside Paul like gladiators in the arena to spread the gospel message. God had written their names in heaven's registry of citizens alongside all others to whom he promised eternal life. Paul is asking those in the church to help them get along, to agree in the Lord, to help them reconcile. In their book, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me, social psychologists Carol Travers and Elliot Aronson describe how a fixation on our own righteousness can choke the life out of love. They write, the vast majority of couples and friendships that drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. Don't you wish you could master your relationships? There is guaranteed trouble and challenges with relationships. Do you have joy's peace with your troubling relationships? Second, troubling thoughts. Let's look at verses 4 through 9 of Philippians 4. And I want to ask you this question. What wakes you up at night? What do you think about first thing in the morning? What are those thoughts? While elaborating on loving one's neighbor, apologist Michael Ramston spoke of a colleague who, while in Asia, asked his audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. After a few seconds, the audience was invited to share their mental pictures of peace. One person described a field with flowers and beautiful trees. Another person spoke of snow-capped mountains and incredible alpine landscape. Still another described the scene of a beautiful, still lake. After everyone described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing common in them all. There were no people in them. Ramsden commented, Isn't it interesting, when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is to eliminate everyone else. Let's look at what Paul goes on to write about rejoicing in the Lord. Verses 4 through 9. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is the direction of our joy? It's in the Lord. He says, Paul says, be patient. Trust God. Don't be anxious. Pray and ask God for what you need. With thanksgiving. He's saying, be thankful. Recognize what you're thankful for. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. This is a personal favorite verse of mine. As a young married man, I memorized it, new in ministry, because I was having anxious thoughts, worrisome days. And I've practiced this throughout my life, to rejoice in the Lord. The trouble with trouble is that it usually starts out as a whole lot of fun, and it goes down from there. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God in our lives. And we have to be ever mindful that God is with us, in us, around us. Our trouble is we want the peace without the Prince. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is our focus. He is our center in troubling thoughts and troubled times. Let's look, go on to look at verse or chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Where does Paul tell us to direct our focus on the positives, also on his positive example and the positive examples of those around us, those faithful people. The Wall Street Journal reports that Adrian Ward, a cognitive psychologist and marketing professor at the University of Texas at Austin, has been studying the way smartphones and the internet affect our thoughts and judgments for over a decade. In his own work, as well as that of others, he has seen mounting evidence that using a smartphone or even hearing one ring or vibrate produces a welter of distractions that make it harder to concentrate on difficult problems or jobs. The division of attention impedes reasoning and performance. A 2015 study involving 166 subjects found that when people's phones beep or buzz while they're in the middle of a challenging task, their focus wavers and their work gets sloppier. And, and the more people hear their phone ring but, but are unable to answer it, their blood pressure spikes, their pulse quickens, and their problem-solving skills decline. Social media and porn and illicit relationships thereof, and the list could go on, are, are distractions that draw us away from our focus on Christ. Without that focus on positive things, without that focus on other positive examples, we won't have that peace. And ultimately, that peace comes from Christ, who is our center. 
Do you have the peace of Christ in your life? What do you think about? First, troubling relationships, and then troubling thoughts, and then finally, troubling finances. When we think about the Philippians, we think about a church in the first century that was probably living a subsistence lifestyle with an archaic money system. There wasn't adequate food preservation. It was an agrarian culture. There was not a lot of abundance at that time. U.S. News and World Report says two-thirds of Americans would struggle to scrounge up $1,000 in an emergency. And we're encouraged to start saving between 250 and 750 in savings that this helps avoid evictions and missing payments and other financial downfalls. They recommend six month a six-month emergency fund. Only 24% of the young adults demonstrate basic financial literacy. This statistic is even made even more worrying considering that 69% of the same young adults surveyed rated their financial knowledge highly. We, we need to learn and recognize and learn from your money mistakes. Personal finance is a trial and error exercise. The experts say if we don't recognize that we're making errors first, we won't get better at it. Among adults who have combined finances in current or previous relationships, two out of five fess up to committing financial infidelity. They either lie to their spouse or don't tell their spouse about their spending. An open and honest attitude toward money is important in any relationship with shared finances. It can ensure that you're on track to meet financial goals and you're sticking to a shared budget. Couples can use a myriad of strategies to co-manage their money, from joining every single account to managing everything separately. About 77 million Americans, or 35% of the adults with a credit file, have debt in collections reported in their credit files. Even scarier, these borrowers owe an average of $5,178 on their credit cards. Not paying your bills on time is a double whammy. It costs you an interest and fees, and it dings your credit score, making consumer debt more expensive for you in the future. Just 46% of Americans have a rainy day fund, a robust emergency fund is key to weathering financial downturns, such as job loss and funding unexpected expenses. And, and they're always going to happen, such as health care bills. Ideally, an emergency fund should be for the stuff that may or may not occur. Don't spend it on se- a semi-regular expenses, such as new tires or quarterly insurance payment, he says. You, you should have cash reserves on hand for those expected But irregular expenses is what you need that emergency fund for. Here's a fact. The number of consumers aged 60 and older with student loan debt has quadrupled over the last decade. Parents who overborrow for their child's education put themselves in a dicey situation. Not only do they have fewer federal 
dollar or federal repayment options than their children, but mom and dad don't get the income boost from the college degree that they've funded. Plus, they're closer to retirement. Another fact, nearly one-third of Americans pay the, the minimum due on their credit card each month. Paying just the minimum on your credit card balance means you'll pay more in interest. In fact, the average household with credit card debt pays a total of $1,292 in credit card interest per year. Beyond that, carrying a balance would potentially ding your credit score by maintaining a high utilization rate, typically one of the more important factors in your credit score. Another fact, almost half the student loan holders express concern about their ability to pay off their student debt. For student loan borrowers, the sheer amount of debt can inspire fear and uncertainty about the possibilities of repayment. Most of our introduction to personal finance now comes from making a mistake with something as serious as student loans. Federal student loan borrowers can research repayment plans such as income-based repayment, which may reduce their monthly bills and work with their student loan servicers to rework the repayment schedule. Fresh out of business school, the young man answered an a one ad for an accountant. Now he was being interviewed by a very nervous man who ran a small business that he'd started himself. I need someone with an accounting degree, the man said, but mainly I'm looking for someone to do my worrying for me. Excuse me, the accountant said. I worry about a lot of things, the man said, but I don't want to have to worry about money. Your job will be to take all the money worries off my back. I see, said the accountant. And how much does the job pay? I'll start you at $80,000. $80,000, the accountant exclaimed. How can such a small business afford a sum like that? That, the owner said, is your first worry. Let's look at what Paul says about finances in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 19. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every, and any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was Kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Your attitude toward money is an EKG revealing the spiritual condition of your heart. It will tell you first the depth of your concern for the cause of Christ. It will also show you the source of your contentment we see that is either in want and need because Paul could do all things. He could be content in all things through Christ who strengthened him. It could 
show you the wisdom of your investments and the sincerity of your worship. With each financial contribution we make towards God's kingdom and the cause of Christ, we credit our account in heaven. And since all I really have is what I give away. Some of us work off the lay-awake plan in finances, and it doesn't work. That's staying awake all night trying to figure out how to pay the bills. We need to trust in God, live within our means, give, save, and live. Do you have joyous peace in your finances? Let's look at verses 21 through 23. This is Paul wrapping up the book. Greet everyone in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You can have peace in troubling relationships, in troubling thoughts, and when you're having troubling finances. Do you have joys, peace in your life, in your relationships, and your thoughts, and finances. We're going to have troubled times. That's a guarantee. But Paul reminds us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the book of Philippians. It's really all about Jesus. Joy's perspective is from Jesus. Joy's power is humility in Christ. Joy's knowledge is knowing Jesus personally and experientially. And finally, Joy's peace in trouble is focusing on Jesus and being thankful and having faith in the one who has brought us thus far. Our peace comes through knowing Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you have the peace of God in your life? Is that joy deep no matter what the circumstances are in your life? If you're a Christian, we need to focus and center on Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you need to make your right life or your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know him as Lord and Savior of your life. I was thinking about this for an application. The next time you're lying awake at night with that thought, with that relationship trouble, with that financial trouble, whatever it is, I would ask you to turn it over to the Lord, to lay it at his feet. Put your trust in Him, and then obey what the Holy Spirit puts inside your heart and mind to do. And I believe that that you will have the peace of God in your life. Let's pray together. Eternal God and Father, we're grateful for this time. And Father, we just pray for that peace, that those troubles in our lives that are going to come, that we can be thankful that you're present with us, that we have a relationship with you, that you've taken taken us through so many storms and so many trials already. And and Father, you're building our faith in you. I just pray that the peace, your peace, would comfort those that listen and hear this message. Father, that they will look to you instead of anywhere else, that their center might be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.